what's up, everybody? Before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called the future of educational justice by Dr. Bettina L. Love, her to her. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Well, everybody, I'm super excited for this conversation. This is um, this is an individual that I've been in contact with a lot over the last year. Um, and for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, I am Gerardo Munoz. I am the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. And this is how I met my next guest. So in the virtual studio today, I have my good friend and um, amazing all-around educator and human being, Sarah Brown Wessling. Sarah, how Hello. are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? I am well. This, this has been my answer lately because as you've probably learned about me in the last year, when people ask me how I am, I'm incapable of giving a short answer. And so, um, so what I, what I, what I'll tell people is that I'm well, meaning that I am not sick. I'm not injured. I'm well, but actually I'm pretty good. And especially today, because I've been looking forward to having you on habitually disruptive. Likewise. Or likewise. Thanks for being here. I agree. Um, this is a really busy time of year for you. Can you tell the people Mm -hmm. what your title is and who you work for? Yeah. Well, so first of all, let me just say, because I always, I always lead with this. I am a teacher. So I yes. am, I'm, yes. So like that's you work first for the people. I do, <laughs> I do work for the people. Um, I'm a high school English teacher. I've been in the high school English classroom for 23 years. Um, this year, um, in addition to that, separate from that, um, I have taken on a new role with uh, um, with CCSSO, which is the Council of Chief State School Officers. Nobody will ever remember what the <laughs> how many S's and how many C's and O's are in that after this. Yeah. Um, but um, I have the incredible privilege of directing the National Teacher of the Year program. Yes. And uh, you know what's amazing? I think you and I started teaching the same year. I think we've talked about this because yeah, this is I also so. my 23rd year as a teacher. Yeah. So that's awesome. So a late 90s teacher, you started in the late 90s? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, late 90s, 98. Yeah. So yeah, 98, 99. Yeah. Oh, same year. Yeah. Do you ever tell your students that as if you're like a relic of the past? Like I'll say to them, I'll say, you know, I started teaching in the 20th century and you know, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, but I do. But when I start telling them, you know, like stories about when I was in high school, I do this thing called anecdote Wednesdays. And so I always tell them a story on Wednesdays and, you know, I'll make some reference that I think is going to be really funny. And they just, they have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) I know the, the farther we get from like their time of birth, the less I they know. understand some of our uh, references. Yeah. 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 So and of course, let's... at this point, I've had, you know, children of students now. 
right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a thing. Oh yeah. No, I was a baby when I started teaching. And so I, I actually, and I was teaching high school. So I actually have students who are actually in their early forties at this point. And so that's just a wild thing to think about and uh, being in touch with them. Um, So actually let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about your story as an educator first. That's one of the the biggest, that's one of the things I get really fascinated with when I'm talking to fellow educators um, so how did you arrive in this field and what was the mindset that you kind of brought into it? Yeah. Um, so the story, it's, it's kind of a meandering story, I think. Uh, and I, and like a lot of teachers, uh, I, I think I always knew that I was going to be a teacher. I just didn't hear that respond to it right at first. Uh, so I, when I graduated from high school, um, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. So when I went to, when I went to the university, I was, you know, going to go be on TV and report. Yeah. The news. I mean, you've got the voice yeah. for it. Like, definitely. Like when, when Sarah starts speaking, it's like, oh, wait, that's, that sounds official. That sounds real. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that was so funny though, so I'm in, you know, in these classes, in these journalism classes, and I actually realized I don't like the writing. Uh, and then, but I stuck it out. I'm like, I just need to figure it out. And then I went to the first day where I saw myself on camera and I like, was like, no, the camera does not like me. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh yeah. I turned around. I was like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. So, uh, yeah. So I was like, nope, don't want to do that. Um, I also took a year off from college. And so during that time, I changed my major to philosophy which uh, I loved. So then when I went back, I was a philosophy major. And uh, my dad, I remember going home one weekend and he sits me down and he wants to have this conversation about what I'm going to do with I the philosophy I think I know what's coming. <laughs> right? I have the same conversation with my parents about a history degree. So <laughs> Right, exactly. So I said, well, you know, dad, you, you might be right. I have no idea what I'm going to do with that philosophy degree, but I sort of like sitting in a room thinking. Yep. Um, and so then I changed it again to uh, psychology. Okay also loved. Uh, I mean, I was so fascinated just by human behavior and motivations and all those things. Um, And then I was in this conversation with my advisor who said, okay, so let's look at the long-term here. And she laid out all of the math and science courses I was going to have to take for the next seven years. (laughs) I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is right either. (laughs) I would have stopped at seven years. I'm like, hold up seven years. (laughs) Wait, I'm not not sure. I'm not sure this is right. Sure. Uh, And so I was walking through campus one day and I, I, there must've been a bright light or I don't know something. And I just (laughs) had this moment of epiphany where I realized I would, I could do all of those things that I loved if I went to the classroom. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get to do all of them yep. in this really great way. And as soon as I had that realization, the next moment I knew it was going to be an English teacher because I had been taking as many English courses as I could yeah. just for fun. You've been so reading. I, <laughs> right. So I literally turned around. I was walking one direction on campus, turned around, walked to the College of Ed, like this poor woman, this administrative assistant. I just like, was like, I am here to be a teacher. And she's like, uh, okay. She's like, we're closing in five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's how it started. And Beautiful. once I, once I found the path, right. Yeah. Once I found it. Yeah. 
I, I love that. That is so beautiful. Like I, I, I love the story because I, I think that. So in one of my grad classes, we're reading David Hansen's um, the, the Call to Teach, and you're probably mm-hmm. familiar with it. Yep. Deeply philosophical work about what it means to be a person in the world and what it means to be a person in the role of teacher. And so the way that you're describing it is very much, I it wasn't any single thing. It was just a whole bunch of little things that led you to this kind of moment of, yeah. of clarity for yourself. Let, let me ask you this. So... The, first of all, like the conversations that you and I have had over the last year, like yeah. you as a philosophy major and a and a psychology major, like totally on brand. Like <laughs> you're you're just, you're just a deep thinker, and you yeah. and the words you use matter, and the way you connect with people it, it matters to you, and that that's yeah. really obvious. How what elements of the philosopher and the psychologist? did you take into the classroom? Like, so I imagine that when you started teaching literature, it wasn't like, okay, I'm done with all those things. Now I'm, now it's just about fiction. What, what are those elements that you took into the classroom and were able to continue to do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think, you know, there's of course iterations when you're a baby teacher, you're a baby teacher, right? And so there's some things that you know you value, but you're not quite sure how to live them. Mm. Um, Oh, I love that. So I, you know, eventually after, you know, eventually I learned how to live um, what, what it means to be a human with other humans, right? So that like, not, not what it means to be in this kind of um, fabricated hierarchy of a classroom. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I, when I talk about our classroom, I always say, like, when you come into the space, everybody gets elevated to the status of learner. Um, wow. Ooh, and when you do that, to the status yeah, you get learner. elevated. Yeah. And, you know, when you do that, though, you actually flatten the hierarchy of the classroom. Yep. And so um, what, I, what I took into the classroom, what I take into any learning space that I'm in, or I aim to at least, um, is that it has to be, the work has to be about the learner. Um, It's not about me. And I need to make sure that I am paying attention to these humans. And when it comes to like the philosophy, you know, my own, my students would tell you, uh, she taught me how to think. That's what they would say. They would say, sometimes I didn't know if I was in an English class or not, but I learned how to think. And, you know, and I actually took that as a compliment because what they meant was we were talking about ideas. Yeah. We were using literature to propel us into conversations about what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, Which is different than let's find three examples of symbolism. Yeah. Let's, you know, we still let's, found the symbols, right? Yeah, like let's, we still di- let's diagram this sentence, right? right like that right, kind of thing. Right, and right. no, I mean, yeah. so what I'm hearing you talk about is a, a is a transcendent sort of yeah. experience that happens in the space of an English classroom, but is really about this human connection. I love this idea of elevating every person to be a learner. I think that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Thank yeah. You. I feel like I cut you off though. I think you were going to say more. no. No. Well, I think that, you know, I, I'm also a, I'm also an English teacher geek. Right. So (laughs) I like, I love metaphors (laughs) and I love beautiful sentences Mm -hmm. and I love it when my students write their own beautiful sentences. And I love it when they can stand up and they can make an argument and they can 
and support it, you know? So it's, it, you know, I talk about kind of that transcendent piece of yeah. learning that, that is the spiritual part of it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't exist without the concrete work, you know? Mm. And so that concrete work is like the work of an English class. And Say more about that. That's, use that. I think that's really interesting. Like the concrete work. Yeah. Yeah. So I think within, like, you have to have a pathway into those bigger conversations. Um, and I think that as humans, we vacillate between the abstract and the concrete. Right. And that's really how we, that is the nuance of learning, right? Yeah. You, you have something concrete, it's your experience, it's a fact, it's something that you know, and you connect it yep. to an idea and then you yep. start to own it. Yep. And then you go back to the concrete and you connect it to a new fact or a new idea. And yeah. so like you, it's, I talk about it like as peacock feathers, right? Like you're constantly like going in and out of this abstract and concrete and yeah. how important that journey is, you know, yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. So interesting. No, this is great. I feel like I need to bring in this video to my to one of my grad school classes because this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, the way teacher identity yeah. is forged through experiences and through, but also through active participation of the students, that the students are are Absolutely. agents in this entire process. Well, yeah. so that that actually segues really nicely into the next question I want to ask, yeah. which is tell me about 2010. <laughs> tell you about 2010 <laughs> so in 2010 the most bizarre thing happened <laughs> bizarre i love it <laughs> um yeah so and, and I, I haven't told you this story um but the whole thing started uh i came home i think it must have been 2009 it was um it was march and right, i came it home been and i opened the right. mail <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I opened the mail and there was a letter that said, you have been nominated for the Iowa teacher of the year. And I was like, cool, except I have like two young children and I'm <laughs> pregnant with my third and oh, I need to make dinner. So I like, was like, oh, that's, that's nice. Great. And I'll like talk. I'll look at that later. And then <laughs> you get into like, and then you get into the spring with seniors. Like there's no turning back, right? Like that's the only thing yeah. you do. Yeah. So I got, I graduated my seniors, you know, I got, I launched them and <laughs> I went back to the pile and I picked up the piece of paper and I was like, okay, I think I'll look at this now. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, this application <laughs> is due, <laughs> like, you know, in like a month. <laughs> and so, but I, I noticed these essay questions and I was so excited to have an opportunity to write seriously because I hadn't written seriously since I had finished my uh, thesis. Right. And so I was like, I just, I have some things I really want to say. Mm -hmm. I have some student stories that I need to tell. Like I, there, wow. there are things my students have taught me that I need to share. Wow. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get to write about this. And then uh, through that process, I discovered that it was a bunch of my former students who had gotten together and nominated me for the Iowa Teacher of the Year. Wow. And so that happened. And then I found out I was a finalist for, well, then I was named the Iowa Teacher of the Year, which I couldn't believe. And then mm -hmm. I found out I was a finalist for the National Teacher of the Year. And I found out um, when my youngest was three weeks old, 
Oh, wow. And so I went to that interview when he was, I think, six weeks old, six or seven weeks old, and uh, was just so grateful for this opportunity to talk to people unabashedly about education. Yeah. You know, that, that interview process was just this incredible gift because I'd always felt a little like an outsider, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, because we, you know, I would be with my colleagues who I adore and love and respect. And I would say, Hey, guess what research I was reading last night. And most of them were like, huh, <laughs> you know, why, why are you yeah. doing that? <laughs> um, and so I felt like I was finding some people who saw me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then I was named. And, you know, the thing about being named the National Teacher of the Year is that it is a, it is a, it is a wonderful honor. Yeah. And it is uh, a really big job yeah. with a really steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I just took it on. I yeah. just took it on and I jumped in and I'm like, I, I'm going to figure this out the best I can. Yeah. So. That's 2010. That's yeah, 2010. Um, That's 2010. Yeah. So, I, so it, it's it's just really interesting because having been through part of the process, it, like yeah. I I can definitely relate to where I my 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 notice of my nomination came in an email, and I was like, this is spam, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? So so I think I was really close to reporting it as phishing. <laughs> Um, and, um, because I think, I think too, to your point, I think it is difficult for teachers to feel seen. And especially if you have a more unique approach or a a more unique mindset, there's a, there's an author that, um, that I love. He wrote a book, um, on the history of Islam. It's called, uh, destiny disrupted a world, uh, a history of the world through Islamic eyes. And he, he recounts this story of being on a Tech, and on a textbook committee, on a world history textbook committee. And he was the only non-Westernist, non-Western civ, non-European, non-white person on the committee. And he comes from an Afghan background, um, but he's not a historian. He's a novelist by trade. And so he said that the conversations were really frustrating because this is one of my favorite, you, you appreciate words. And so yeah. he says, mine was such the anomalous point of view that it was indistinguishable mm-hmm. from error. And I'm like, you are speaking to me. <laughs> like, yes. And so I think yes. it's very much that point yes. of like, oh, me? Oh, this is weird. And just kind of seeing the right. process play out is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you have continued to teach um, over, over these years. Talk a little bit about that, because I can imagine that you also get a ton of opportunities to speak to larger audiences. What is it that has kept you rooted in the classroom? Well, first and foremost, I think my soul is there. I mean, I mean, I really do. Um, I am energized by the classroom, especially Mm -hmm. teenagers. Um, I, uh, you know, I just, I love the work, you know, I love that work. Um, I love the way it challenges me. Um, So it, one of the things that happened to me during that 2010, so if folks don't know when you're the national teacher of the year, you get pulled out of the classroom. Yep. I think that year I was in what was like 48 states, a few different countries. I did some wow. 260 yeah. 
you know, talks. Yeah. Hard to get a sub for that many days out. Yeah. Right. right. They, exactly. They just pull you out and they say, pull you out. They put you on a plane, they give you a suitcase and they're like, go. Um, but you know, one of the things that I, I learned that year from talking to so many teachers, learning from so many teachers, um, was this, this commitment I felt to them to return to my classroom to become a better teacher. Wow. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like there, there's like another teaching life for me now. Yeah. Like it yep. starts again now. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and so I did, um, and I put myself and I, and I, I often talk to teachers about this about the notion of the beginner's mindset sure. and how important that is and what it means to me on a daily basis mm-hmm. as a teacher is that we have to put ourselves in the way of struggle yeah. in if we want to teach you know otherwise if we are not struggling along with our students um, we're probably telling them what to do we're probably right. assigning a lot, right? So we're probably like, do this, do this. And I can tell you how to do this in a very pretty way, but mm-hmm. that is not the same as struggling with them. Yeah. And so I kind of just entered this second phase of my teaching um, where I, like, I, there was a, like, I was in my classroom and I cleaned that sucker out. Like mm-hmm. I like got rid of nine file cabinets worth of stuff. I went, Oof. I, yeah. I took, I took like, I don't know, the 15,000 files that I had created, you know, <laughs> yeah. in my first 13 years of teaching. And I yeah. put it on a external drive and I put a new file folder on my, on my computer. And it just said Johnston forward. Johnston is my, my school Johnston forward. And I told myself that I was not going to let myself start from what I had done before that I was going to force myself to start differently. So like the external drive was, you know, accessible because I always have some really, it was always there. there. (laughs) Um, But I, I wouldn't let myself start from what I had done before. Wow. And what it did was it reasserted and kind of shifted um, my focus on my students. Yeah. So yeah. when I took away my file folders, my most important, you know, information was coming from these humans in front of me. And they were the ones who were going to tell me what the next step was going to look like. Wow. like not, not what was next in the file. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that really started what I would call like the second phase of my teaching. Right in the second phase of my career. So when, yeah, so I have, so in like, I guess, staying in the classroom has, it, it is my work, right? Yeah. Like I have to teach, I have to teach. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been great. And I have been a hybrid teacher. Um, since 2010. So I have um, taught part of the time and there have been some different iterations of these, of this, um, but I've taught part of the time. And then I've 
done additional work part of the time. Gotcha. So that has been working with a lot of, a lot of working with teachers, yeah. um, a lot of professional development. Yep. I spent six years as the teacher laureate for the teaching channel. So oh, wow. that was an adventure. <laughs> uh, so they um, like filmed me teaching all yep. the time. And that was a different level of reflection. So that imposed a new level of reflection for me on my craft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like constantly putting myself in the way of struggle. Right. Yeah. Um, and then all along, I've never left this program. Right. So I've always been involved in this program. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, most recently this year um, have taken a sabbatical from the classroom in mm -hmm. order to do this full time. Yeah. Wow. How's that feeling? Uh, it is it is, um, it is holding two things at once. Yeah. It is holding two things at once. And, you know, um, I am holding this, this pull that I will always feel to my high school classroom yeah. Yeah. and just being so energized and, um, compelled and inspired by the teachers that I get to work with, you mm -hmm. know, in this other capacity. And, and I get to imagine a classroom that's much larger, right? Wow. I get to imagine this classroom that's larger. Yeah. Um, and I get to think about how to create the opportunities for all of these other teachers to take their own journey, right? To like go down their own path and, yeah. and make sure that they know they can do it. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm just letting the depth of everything you just shared like sink in because I think that is, it's, it's so beautifully put. Um, and, and it, and it runs really counter to what sort of traditional approaches to the work are, right? Like I remember, um, you know, there was a student teacher in our building at one point that said that his goal was to have this file cabinet, you know, so when you talked about file cabinets, I thought that was amazing and just be able to change the dates and just kind of like roll things out. And I, and I think that in a real way. And, and I think there are systemic realities that, sure. you know, that make it difficult to imagine doing what you're doing. But at the same time, like your approach to this is utterly disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. To say that I've reached what some would call the, the top of the teaching profession in the United States of America. And to say, and actually, I'm just going to run a new race when I get back, I'm just going to come back and, you know, start you know, the, the beginner's mindset, I think is a really beautiful thing as you, as you explain it. And, and I think that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of disruption that I think a lot of people can learn from is that, you know, you're always learning, you're putting yourself in the way of struggle. Um, and, and I think that's so powerful. Um, so talk a little, a lot of folks maybe aren't aware of the national teacher of the year program, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. So just in a nutshell, um, and, and, you know, and I, I would also say that there are those in our cohort that have different ideas of what the National Teacher of the Year um, program sure. is. Um, Absolutely. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, sort of where we were brought up and where we have been doing our work and, you know, all those kinds of things. But tell us, tell us what the National Teacher of the Year program is. Yeah, so it is, um, I would say, first and foremost, a, co a cohort model of teachers. Um, each state sends their state teacher of the year to this program. And then our goal is to bring this cohort of teachers together, give them the opportunity to learn with each other, from each other, um, give them the opportunity to 
honestly have kind of this really unique once in a lifetime um, professional development, professional yeah. growth experience. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's designed also um, to give teachers pathways. So the, the hope is that every teacher can find a pathway. So for some teachers, it's going to be policy. For some, it's going to be advocacy. For some, it's going to be leadership. For some, it's going to be more clarity around their own instruction, um, around that teaching and learning piece. And for some, yeah. it's going to intersect, right? There's going to be more yeah. than one. Um, and so that's, you know, we, we certainly believe that when we elevate teachers, so we do a lot to elevate teachers. Oh, yeah. um, and we certainly <laughs> believe that when we do that, we are elevating their students and we are elevating the profession. Um, but, you know, even for me, just personally, I guess, when I, when I see your, all of your faces, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, like, I recognize that everybody's in a different place and, um, and I've been, you know, around this program long enough to know that it, you know, people intersect with it also when they're ready. Yeah. Um, and, and just like, just like the learners in our classrooms, yeah. Like it, it's, it really is on their terms. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so what, what my hope is, is that like, we can offer um, enough different pathways that, um, that teachers can find themselves in one. Yeah. Why do we, why is, why do we need this program now in this moment in history, in this moment in time? Yeah. Well, I think in, you know, so this, his, this, this program is the longest running, most prestigious teacher recognition program in the country. So we're about to go into our 70th year, right? So wow. like, it's been around wow. for a long time. Yeah. And um, I actually uh, went into the, so maybe about two summers ago, I like mm -hmm. went to the archives and like started going through <laughs> because like no I'm a geek right because this yeah. is what Sarah would do um and I'm like like just reading all of these stories about all of these teachers and kind of like tracing yeah. these things and you know one of the through lines was that teachers always teach you know 70 years ago teachers were still talking about needing to be valued they were talking wow. about needing to be heard. They were talking wow. about needing resources for their students. The resources are different, right? And, and the way that we contextualize some of those universal truths, mm -hmm. I think is different. Um, so I think there is like a, a degree of, of um, universality to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, but I also think, you know, at this moment in time, we, we need teacher voice, right? We have to, we, we have to continue to empower teachers to, to speak their truths about yeah. what's happening in their classrooms and in their schools and in their communities. Right. And, and, you know, that, I mean, that is how we change the narrative and yeah. it's, it's a slow change in thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about teachers 70 years ago wanting the same things that we want now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, they, yeah, it's different. It is different. But what is the same? And this was the thing that was so palpable to me um, was that they wanted what was best for their students. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and these teachers who were recognized as the National Teacher of the Year even that many years ago. Yeah. They were disruptors. They That's were amazing. on the margins. 
right? They were the ones who were creating programs, um, you know, like what we would maybe call like a vocational program now. You know, they were the ones who were creating that for the first time in their school or in their state, you know? So there are some things that are part of our normal now, something like that. Yeah. That a long time ago, somebody was the first. Somebody had to Somebody did for. say, somebody struggled for it. Somebody did say, we are not meeting the needs of all of our students. Yeah. And this is a yeah. way I can do it. The, w- the way you describe that, um, just kind of standing on the shoulders of these giants that came before us, uh, mm-hmm. makes me think of what our friend Brooke Brown likes to say, yeah. Washington State yeah. Teacher of the Year, be a good ancestor. Yeah. Um, right. It sounds like what you found is a is a record of people who were good ancestors. Yeah, and who absolutely. Built beautiful things. I have a project yeah. that I, that I want to invite you to at some point um, because I, I, yeah. I as as a as a historian, I like getting into the archives. I like getting into the documented histories of different things, yeah. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, wow. So like, I feel like I always feel after I talk to you, which is um, just a whole other like level of depth and understanding and just hearing you kind of speak from the heart. Um, so really, what was your message? Oh, when I was yep, when, when I, you were like, 2010. Year, you... Yep. So I, let me just say this. I, I have never been like a platform person. I have never been <laughs> like a, like a message person. Okay. Um, so I can't give it to you in a sentence because I didn't give it to other people in a sentence. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and, but what I did talk about was I, I, I talked about my students. I talked mm-hmm. about their stories. Um, yeah. I talked about the ways that we needed to engage our students um, and what that engagement really looks like. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but I haven't stopped since then. And so it is also, you know, it is also an evolution. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I would have, you know, what I was talking about then, like I can see the seeds in what I talk about now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's what it was. It was the beginning. Yeah. It, it yeah. wasn't like this, I don't know, it wasn't a manifesto. Yeah. It wasn't I felt like so much, the definitive. Yeah. I know when, when I was going through my state application and doing that whole process, I felt this like pressure to have a manifesto. And now like looking back a year later, I'm realizing how much of my message is much clearer now after all this time with all these amazing people in this incredible program um, where I've had that opportunity. And, and I'm, you know, you talk about pathways. It's really awesome to hear you sort of talk about what this program's all about. And um, when you talk about discovering pathways, um, I just, for me, I know I complain a lot, but I'm a, you know, I um, love you. <laughs> it's, it's how I'm wired. I'm a, I, I'm a, I just like, I, I am a contrarian in a lot of ways, but, um, but I think, I, I think that I have endless gratitude for what this program has done for me. There are things I'm working on now that I don't know if I'm working on them without the opportunity to work with you and others. And of course the, the cohort, cohort. Um, you know, it's, it's been, I'd like, I'm literally working on a PhD now because folks were like, Hey, you went here for your master's, like come get a PhD. And it's been an yeah. amazing opportunity that stands to put me in spaces I've always wanted to be in. Yeah. Um, is 2021 the wildest cohort you've ever seen? 
Oh, everybody always wants to know if they're my favorite cohort, <laughs> if they're oh, the no, best, we, we, if they're we the know, craziest. We know like, where everybody your favorite. Wants to know. <laughs> we know where your favorite. We know we're the best. We just want to know if we're the wildest. <laughs> Um, so uh, what, like what, in what context are you oh, I don't wild? Know. I don't know. I think I, 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 I guess I would ask you like, what, what do you, from as somebody who yeah. is <laughs> responsible for hurting these cats a lot, um, <laughs> what would you say our identity is if, if there is one? Oh, Maybe I'm being that's Actually, that's a really good question. No, no. Yeah. I think that's really fair. I think that's oh, really cool. fair. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, and I think these identities though, and if you went back and looked at the cohorts, yeah. I do think the cohort identity is really driven by time, mm. right? Like by the moment, by yeah. the context in which oh, they wow. came together. So, yeah, um, so I definitely think that your cohort has, it's, it's like fierce and it's urgent, right? You have, you, you have this, sense of urgency um that i you know i respect and i love and i think it is driven by time like where we are today yeah like we we have to be urgent right like we have to be urgent yeah we have to be fierce that's that's awesome that that feels good to hear um the uh you know and it's interesting because so many of us are the first in of our type in our cohort Mm -hmm. um you know i'm the first chicano and identifying person in colorado to get it and we have like another latina coming up who is Mm -hmm. like an amazing human and like so we we hear a lot of firsts and a lot of those kinds of things. Well, thank you for humoring me on that question. Like, you know, we yeah. always want to well, know. No, it's, just, like it's, like your right? it's like your students. Were your favorite class, oh, Miss? Oh, they do. Yeah, they yeah. do. They ask all the time. They ask all the time. Yeah. Or you know what else they want to know? They always want to know if there are students I didn't like. That's what they, they always yes. want to know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, tell yeah. us well, about the ones you didn't like. And I'm like, yep. yeah, I, th- like, no. I, and I always <laughs> tell there were two there. I've had two students that um, were really kind of horrible to another student they were like separately were and i and i always tell them that that was the hardest thing for me that was the hard those were the those were the two hardest when they moments are for me horrible to other children yes yeah yes I, yeah, um i, I said I but that. everybody but you know like i'm like and they're like <laughs> and then like eventually they'll say we actually believe you. We actually think <laughs> they're like, this is like really everybody. disappointing, but we think you're being honest. <laughs> we, we think you <laughs> And I'll do. bet you, are you the kind of, are you the kind of teacher that like, just do your students tell you that you never seem mad or perturbed or frustrated with them? Do they say that to you? Cause I feel oh, like, yeah, yeah Definitely. And I guess that too. They're kind of so like patient. They're, they're like, say, miss, so do you patient. ever get mad? Miss, do you ever yep. get mad? And like, and I get that question a lot, believe it or not, like, miss, do you ever get mad? And I'm like, okay, in my head, some, some part of my head is always right. screaming. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just not always right. seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Well, I want to get to the most important part of the show. This, so this, this is kind of biting off of two dope teachers in a mic where we have people list our top five rappers. And then um, I interviewed Luis J. Rodriguez and he's like, I don't really listen to la- rap, but I can tell you about my favorite, like, travel destinations and it turned like really beautiful and so we're going to disrupt that and i want to ask you sarah brown wesling yes what is your top five whatever my top five whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. so it can be top top five anything so 
Um, our friend Christy uh, from Montana um, yeah. was on the show and listed her top five reasons to live in a small town. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, that's so there's awesome. some good stuff. That's so awesome. yeah, that's awesome. what's your top five? Okay. So, um, hmm. So one of the things that I started doing about eight years ago, um, I started to do a solo hiking trip every summer. Oh, oh, okay. And I pick a different place and I take off and I just like walk until I find myself again, because usually, you know, like (laughs) I have lost myself at some point during the year and I need to reconnect. Um, and so, okay. So these are my top five hikes. How is that? Nice. Oh, I love it. Is that sound all right? My, my outdoorsy granola mother will love this. Okay, good. (laughs) So, um, I'm going to start with, um, number. Okay. So do I have to start with five. You know, it doesn't have to be. Can I start with my favorite and go down? You can just start with the first one that comes to your mind. We don't have to rank it. It's like, okay, it'll okay. just be your five favorite. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So, um, Utah, okay. uh, Zion national park, um, just absolutely it's just spiritual. It was amazing. Mm, it was, it was just really amazing. Um, I did a really good job of getting up really, really early when mm. I was there. And so, um, I would see the sunrise every morning. Um, so that was, that was amazing. Uh, number two, you're going to like, this is in Colorado. Oh yes. Um, yeah. I've so Long's peak, um, yep. in Rocky mountain, Yep. And um I love that one because I almost didn't finish it. Um mm. I got a late start. There was like, you know, rain and thunderstorms, and it's you know Colorado. how that is in Colorado. <laughs> um, and I got to like the very last quarter mile, which is basically bouldering. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh I was like, I can't finish this thing. I cannot, wow. I cannot finish this thing. Yeah. What am I gonna do? I'm like you know, got all this way. And so I just sat there and I watched, um, a couple of people go up and I saw a couple of people go down and I thought, all right, well, you don't actually have to finish it, but you should just take one more step. Mm. And then I was like, okay, you don't have to finish it, but you should just take one more step. And that's how I got to <laughs> I the love top. It. <laughs> like love that's it. how I got and to the top. So for those of you who are not in Colorado, listening to this Long's Peak is, so my wife is from Longmont. She, she was born in Mexico grew up in Longmont. And so when you are approaching Longmont from like 20 miles away, Long's Peak is majestic. Like it, it it looks like a throne and it's one of the most amazing sort of sites in Colorado. So, um, so Claudia will very much appreciate you naming Long's Peak in your top five. Yeah. And then I got caught in a hailstorm on the way down. So that was because, because Colorado, because Colorado, right. (laughs) Um, then I would say my third was, um, Washington state. Okay. So, uh, what I loved about that one, uh, I was like in a rainforest and on a mountain and like on the coast, I got to do like these different kinds of hikes, you know, like in the same period of time. So I really, I really love that. Um, then I don't know if this is my fate. This was not my favorite, but it was the only one I ever turned around on. Mm. So I was on the Appalachian trail 
And I don't know, I was like, gonna do a pretty good day. It was like gonna be a 17 mile day. And I got about seven or eight in and I was going down this path and I had this like just strange, overwhelming sense that I just should not be going down this path. Oh, interesting. Um, And I turned around and and I ran actually um, for a couple of miles. Um, and, And then I stopped and, you know, walked my walked a different direction Mm -hmm. um and i tell you what even though i didn't like the hike itself right i was really proud of myself for listening to myself yeah do that you know like i'm not always good at listening to myself Mm. and so that was that was meaningful yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was. Um, and then I would say um, probably the fifth, um, probably the fifth was um, in New Mexico. Yeah, um, I yeah. was in the Taos area and okay. um, yeah, it was just, it was just quiet. New no, Mexico quiet. so beautiful. Yeah, it is it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and sneaky, the altitude is like sneaky mm-hmm. high. Like it doesn't look like a place of a high altitude, but I was yep. marathon training there a couple of years ago. Like, and we were, on, we were on a trip. It was for our anniversary. We were in Taos. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do this quick eight mile run. And whoa, that was murderous. <laughs> and I'm from yeah. Colorado. Yeah, exactly. And you're, <laughs> so and you're from Colorado. Right? <laughs> and I'm from Colorado, <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, New Mexico has got this mystique about it. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful and powerful all at once. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, Sarah Brown Wesley, thank you so much for coming oh my on gosh, the Visually Disruptive. You. This was super fun. I, I knew you'd be a great interview because you're just like smart and interesting and and like <laughs> all that stuff. And um, it's been amazing having you on the show. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's, you know, you're so easy to talk to and you um, just have this this kind of panoramic view of things mm. that I really appreciate. Okay. You know, it's like you 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 can see, like you can see the panorama of the issue, of the situation, you know, um, and you can drill down, um, yeah. but you can also zoom out. I used to think that that was a bad thing because I'm like, uh, stop letting me see everything. <laughs> but yeah, but well, I appreciate it's a gift it. and a no, curse, I mean, right? <laughs> and it's and it's this whole like, like I, I just really appreciate the way you've been humanizing this work and being a part of like everything for all of us and how amazing that's been. So, um, thank you so much. And folks, if you enjoyed this episode, like check us out. We're all over social media. I tweet 72 hours a day, so feel free to um, <laughs> follow. You'll probably find me there but you can find us at at two dope teachers on both twitter and on instagram you can follow us on facebook at two dope teachers you got show ideas email me uh two dope teachers at gmail.com and if you like the content that you are hearing um every week on here whether it's habitually disruptive the exit interview or the flagship podcast two dope teachers and a mic head over to patreon.com slash two dope teachers for ways that you can support um thank you all and we will catch you next time.